0: Greetings. Wilkinson here. Today, my guest is Alex Stratikis, and you're from where? Greece and Scotland. And mm-hmm, that's right. So, yeah. Alex came to me as a couch surfer, a house guest in my place. We've had a few days together, had mm-hmm. a lot of fun talking. And then I said, Oh, Got to have you on my podcast. <laughs> so here he is. Say hi, Alex. Hey, everyone. So I'm glad you're here. Let, uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Tell us a little of your history, where you're from, where you grew up, who mm-hmm. your family is, yep. blah, blah, blah.
1: Okay. So my dad is Greek and my mom is Scottish. And I grew up in both, I guess, um, kind of, I don't know, equally, but yeah, until the age of 20. And then I moved to Japan when I was 20 years old. And that was, I guess, my first real experience away from home, from family. Um, what, what took you to Japan? Well, I'd been learning Japanese since I was 13. So, it was uh, probably the best place to go to get more right. involved with the language. Yeah. So,
0: I'm curious, why did you choose to learn Japanese?
1: So, we'd always had family friends who were Japanese. Okay. And I guess, yeah, they used to send me stuff, you know, like as presents and... Um, Yeah, they were great people, and I I guess the language always interested me, so I decided to try it out. Um, Mm. I did French in high school, but at the time, I wasn't really interested in that, so yeah, I decided Japanese was a much cooler option. (laughs) Right. And how long were you in Japan, did you say? Mm, So it was non-consecutive. I was there, I think, for a year, and then I started university.
0: Um, Where did you go to university?
1: So I moved to England for university. Okay. I was in Newcastle. And right. one of those years was also in Japan as an exchange year. So oh, I cool. went back for one more year.
0: So you studied something in Japan? hmm Did yep. you just study the language or something
1: else? Uh, so it was Japanese studies. So it was the language, culture, history. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: you liked Japan?
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so you've traveled to a lot of countries, I guess.
1: Uh, since that point, yeah, I've been traveling a lot more how many Um, countries have you been in this year i reached 40 i think it's 41 or 42 now yeah
0: yeah (laughs) are you part gypsy
1: (laughs) uh no 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 (laughs) No, but uh no i hope to keep going so there's a lot more
0: i want to see and obviously you're in the
1: u.s now Uh uh-huh uh how long have you been in the u.s so after i graduated i moved to boston for a job um and I wasn't actually there that long because I really didn't enjoy the job. Um, And that was kind of when the whole travel kicked off um, because I didn't have... I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at that point. So I decided just to travel um, up until I had a better idea. So Um, you were in Boston and then mm -hmm. so most of those countries you visited after Boston? A lot of the European ones were before, but yeah, after Boston, um, that was when I kind of really kicked off on the, uh, I guess pedal to the metal with the yeah right. travel so <laughs> yeah. what
0: is your most exotic country you've been to
1: most exotic yeah. in Tropical whatever way Island, in maybe. whatever way you want to call it yeah exotic. i don't know maybe like the bahamas or i guess that's exotic in my mind also hawaii and puerto rico i mean okay. they're both technically the u.s but yeah
0: so from you're being over there I mean, you're saying hawaii and puerto rico mm-hmm. and i go eh <laughs> but you like it
1: yeah because yeah. it's
0: different for you
1: i love warm places i like islands so you must uh, like
0: palm strings
1: yeah of course <laughs>
0: except you're coming here when it's a bit a little bit chillier
1: oh the weather's fine it's better than most of europe right now so okay yeah <laughs> all
0: right yeah. and you have family where what's your growing up situation uh,
1: so i have family in greece um and then on my mom's side, it's more complicated uh so she I I guess like mainly it's Scottish and Irish mix. Um, but we also have a lot of family in England. On my uncle's side, you know, like we have uh I have cousins who are like half Ukrainian, Spanish, um, some Jamaican. Wow, it's um, quite yeah. a mix. Yeah, I mean my mom did one of those, you know, like a family lineage sites. Right. and uh she's part Norwegian it turns out. But also we have family, you know, in like we knew about the ones in Canada but also like the US and Australia, um, New Zealand. So wow. yeah, <laughs> that's cool. And she grew up in South Africa as well. So oh. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a, it's very complicated and we have family in Hong Kong too. And you're gay? Yes. When did you discover that? I guess when I was a teenager, I don't know a year exactly, but yeah, okay. definitely. So you came out after your teens? Or no, maybe when I was like 18, 19. Was Uh that
0: uneventful, your coming out process?
1: Uh, I didn't feel like it was so eventful. (laughs) But maybe to some other people, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. So no big story there, huh?
1: Not really, no. I mean, friendship group, it was the first people I told. I mean, I guess like, yeah, most of them were like, I had bisexual friends, gay friends, lesbian friends. Um, I had one friend who uh, had just transitioned as well. So yeah, I mean... Everyone seemed pretty open about it, so it wasn't a big deal by any means, yeah.
0: And you have an online blog.
1: Yes, that is correct. What's that about? So, I do, I've just started an online blog um, for accessible travel, um, for autism in particular. Why did you choose that? Uh, So, I'm autistic, so... During lockdown, I was out of work, I wasn't doing much as like, I'm sure a lot of the world was in the same situation. Um, and I was trying to think of something to like, take up my time, get me off my feet again, like some new ideas. And that was just one that came to me, there was nothing really in the way of that. There was a lot of travel blogs, but not really any far, or any I could find, at least it was focusing, particularly on accessible and inclusive travel, but with regards to autism. So, hmm. yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time.
0: <laughs> and what's your goal in doing that? What, um, like, why why are
1: you doing it? Mm, so, obviously, the main focus is, I guess, advocacy um, and... L- letting people hear my side of the story um, as an autistic traveler and having traveled so much and also you know I'm hoping to work with more of the tourism industry in various fields to make the industry more inclusive and accessible to Mm. autistic travelers.
0: How are are they not accessible or inclusive now? Um, Like what what was the problem that you wanted to solve?
1: Oh I mean we could talk all day about this really. There's so many different gaps that are missing i guess um i guess a big one is sensory you know a lot of autistic people have sensory processing issues They're, very, they're
0: so sensitive
1: right it could yeah. be to light it could be to sounds it could be to you know touch and feel so yeah um and i mean there is some really great uh tourist attractions and organizations that are focusing more on that now on different ways to make it more accessible um But, I mean, there's always going to be room for improvement at this
0: stage. So, yeah. So, if someone were, let's just say, let's pick something out. Say they were doing a tour. Mm -hmm. How would they make that accessible for you?
1: There's all different ways. And, again, it just depends on the individual. But for me, you know, like, I've been to several places now where they offer you sensory bags. At the start of your uh, trip, and that's that could include all different kinds of things, including sensory maps as well. Those those come in a variety of different forms. What is the sensory map? So yeah, um, for example, one of the last ones I saw that was one of the best ones. It had a I get very easily confused with uh, directions and you know like anything uh, verbal. Right. It's very hard for me to process that, so I prefer to see things written down or, you know, like explained in different ways. So yeah, on the map it had like uh all the routes. It had little symbols showing like don't touch this, you know, like uh this is this. Um there's audio here. Um I'd have to drag it out. It was really great. There was probably like it was very uh, comprehensive. Huh. Um it had all the different lighting levels. Like well, that doesn't really affect me, but for some people for that's some great. People, yeah. You're right, mm-hmm. right. So it was about being inclusive, you know, it's not just about one person, it's about like the entire community. So So um, what country was that in? That was in England. That was in Bath. Um uh-huh. yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: someone had thought all that out.
1: Yeah, they did a really great job. Um mm-hmm. it was very one of the most inclusive experiences I've been to. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. How did that make you feel?
1: Yeah, it was great. It was great to see them doing a good job. Um, and I was there on a press trip. So I was, the focus was to write about, you know, accessibility in Bath. Um, and they definitely did probably the best job out of anywhere. So you I gave them a
0: high recommendation. Yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Bath's a great city. I would recommend to anyone who wants to go to England. Yeah, I've been to England, but I haven't been to Bath. Mm, yeah. It's not so popular, but I love history and it's where all the Roman ruins are and the Roman bath houses. So. Which oh, is wow. where it gets its
0: name. So mm-hmm. go back to your blog. So mm-hmm. so again, what do you specifically what do you want to accomplish with it?
1: So my goal is to Oh, well, let
0: me start with this. Who's your audience?
1: My audience definitely the autistic community and I guess anyone with an autistic family member or partner, um, or I guess anyone who is neurotypical and wants to learn more about autism, um, okay. from the perspective of travel. Mainly, yeah. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're helping them learn the ropes, basically. Is is that what you're doing?
1: Yeah, to an extent. Giving them pointers? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to do like accessible travel blogs. Um, Also just talk about like my perspective on various things I've experienced while traveling. Also, I eventually want to go into consultancy. So that's something I'm looking down Mm -hmm. further, like further down the line, sorry. So, and
0: that would be for people who are organizing or setting up
1: Uh, not necessarily. Like, I'm hoping to do it with, like, people who are autistic who want to travel and maybe Mm. don't know want to know like more a, about, yeah. Would you
0: do like a group for those folks?
1: Yeah. It's still, I haven't really, you know, like fully planned out exactly how I'm going to do it yet, but um, that's something that really interests me. So, yeah, I'm hoping in the next year or two I can get that. And you've down. been
0: doing the blog for what, six or seven months, you said? Yeah, it started April? in May, May this year. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Are you happy with it? Yeah. It's still a baby, but. Well. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of work to do. Um, so that's keeping me busy. And what, what are some of the spin off things
0: you do off because of the blog? You go and do what?
1: Mm, so, I mean, up until the blog was up, I was just everywhere I went, I would write about it. Um, I have like 60 different articles and blogs that have not been published yet um that are just sitting on my laptop so wow i'm trying to get through i it wish in. i had
0: that many podcasts <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so i mean it's good in a sense because i have a lot of stuff to work with for right. you know the future but uh yeah so it's a lot of work getting through it all um also i've been writing guest articles i have been working with some accessible and inclusive tourist um organizations so that's good um yeah it's just i'm just trying to like you know even things out right now um it's still a very early days so um yeah i want to get things to like a good level where i'm not like some days i'm got so much to do in our days it's like nothing so so you're more of an even keel yeah yeah i'm still trying to work that out so
0: yeah. mm-hmm. you said you're autistic mm-hmm. so when did you figure that out or what what's your journey
1: Mm, So, I was diagnosed with autism when I was, I think, six years old. Okay. And that was through two different, um, two separate, I guess, uh, I don't know, practices or... Okay. Yeah. um, And... Yeah, I mean, most people I know who are autistic haven't been diagnosed that early, so I guess... Do you think
0: that was a benefit?
1: Well, I mean, it gives you access to services that a lot of people need, so it definitely was a benefit. Um, yeah, and that happened in Scotland, so um, I guess it was free because, you know, NHS, I guess it was free right. that I'm not really sure. So When you were mm-hmm. at that
0: point, I mean, you're only six years old, so you probably can't remember mm-hmm. a whole lot about it, but did you realize you had a problem or did your the people in your life or your teachers say, we need to check something or how did that that, that unfold? I think that's what happened Um,
1: in terms of like socialization and like behaviors. Um, So, I mean, at six years old, I didn't really notice anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Whatever you are is normal at that point, right? I mean, it's very typical, I should say. Yeah, Yeah.
1: exactly. So.
0: So yeah. what are some of the greatest challenges for you?
1: Mm, as an autistic? Yeah. Adult? Um,
0: well, we all have challenges.
1: Definitely. So.
0: The, the regular stuff we all have. Don't talk
1: about yeah. that. <laughs> uh, oh, there's some big ones. So definitely work is a big one. Um, you know, in terms of disabilities, I read recently, and it's quite a scary statistic that I, uh, autistic people are the most uh, disadvantaged in the workplace. You know, like 87, 75, somewhere between their percent is uh, unemployed. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's not always because people don't want to work. You know, the vast majority do want to work. Um, for the longest time, I did want to work and I couldn't get a job. Um, you know, there's a lot of barriers in the way of uh, autistic people getting jobs. Um, is
0: it mostly around communication and those skills or what?
1: That's a big part of it. I mean, lots of jobs, you know, the interview process alone, that's very not autistic friendly in probably nine cases out of 10 or more. Um, you know, a lot of autistic people as well, including myself, don't like telephone calls. We can't do it. It's like very anxiety inducing. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. So, you know. If Are you better in person then or what? Much better in person. I do not like to talk on the telephone Um, unless really? it's with someone I know. You know, okay. it, it's different if it's someone I know, if it's someone I don't know, and it's an, an unexpected call as well, that just freaks me out, Um so.
0: Do you know why that does that?
1: You know, I read an article about it recently, and it just made so much sense, but in terms of why, I don't know. It's just an autistic trait, I guess. Um I think it's to do with the um i think there's several reasons you know the lack of face um not being able to see the person you're speaking to like being able to read the lips and stuff so the unknown is the kind of unknown i guess that's one of the reasons as well and also the unexpectedness of you know someone just ringing you out the blue or whatever so so yeah that alone that's just one barrier out of thousands you know so um there's a lot to consider and I don't think many workplaces really take into consideration that so. Did yeah. you
0: use the, did you use the words neurotypical before? Yes. So Okay, yeah, I was I'm familiar yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's because a lot of times somebody to, the way I look at all this mm-hmm. is You know, we all think differently. It's just Mm -hmm. the way we're made. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, Mm -hmm.
0: neurotypical would be just counting numbers. More people think about something this way or react some way, right? Yeah,
1: it's what's considered typical by the... Exactly. Because you do it. Yeah, and that's like the whole movement of the neurodiverse movement. You know, it's like that it's just a different aspect of, you know, behavior and the way people think and feel. Mm. And yeah, it's just like two sides of the same coin, I guess. Yeah. So, you're gay. Mm -hmm. I assume you date sometimes? Date sometimes, yeah. Um, How does this affect that? Yeah, it's not always easy. Um, Again, there's a lot of... You don't want to be on the phone with them. (laughs) No, for starters, and some people do, and that's like, no, I can't do that. Can Um, you do texting? Oh, yeah, texting is fine. Texting is okay. But I'm much better in person, 100%. You know, like, texting after a while, it's just a bit overwhelming, I feel. I feel... You know, I could get so much more done and said with less energy if I'm in person, you know, with right. a person. and I get to, you know, the, when you're texting, there's no body language and stuff. Um, it's very easy. It's more easy to read a person when you're with them in person, like their intentions, how they feel. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. But some people with this, mm-hmm. no, they wouldn't, my experience is they may not be be picking up on body language for that's, sure that's part of it for some, some it is people, yeah right? and i mean that but is you, I, but you but for you you do pick up on it
1: sometimes not always but i mean it's better to have it in front of you than guessing right. through text you know um right uh yeah i mean that is a big thing there's a lot of dating culture that relies heavily on uh i guess uh interfering appearance you know like guessing what the other person is thinking and feeling, which is a lot of work. (laughs) Right. Um, Sometimes, you know, I tell people straight up, usually that I prefer uh, directness and straightforwardness. And that scares a lot of people as well. But, you know. um, So if if you were dating somebody,
0: do you tell them that this isn't, could be an issue or something they need to be aware of, or do you mm, not bring that up? I don't what? tell them
1: it's an issue per se. If, if I'm dating someone, you know, it's, I make it clear that, you know, this is who I am, but you know, it's, uh, I mean, I don't have an experience to anyone yet. Who's like said, okay, it's not going to happen because of this, which is yeah. a good sign, I guess. Um, so you haven't
0: heard, oh, really get out.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's never happened. Um, That's good. I'm sure it has happened to many people, which is unfortunate. But I've never experienced it. Um,
0: Yeah. Anybody else in your family experiencing the same thing, or is is this autistic?
1: No, I don't know anyone else in the family. That's or no, sorry, my little cousin. Um, She is. Four years old now, three or four. Um, I'm terrible with numbers. That's another right. thing for me. Ages, well, numbers, I am, yeah. telephone numbers, I can't remember. Yeah, so. Why well, mine is directions yeah. and names, I yeah. cannot remember. Yeah, so she's three or four, and I think she just got uh, her diagnosis through. Okay. So, um, yeah. So she's, yeah. I mean, she's still not talking. Um, and you know, it might take a while for her. That's another, you know, trait of uh, autistic children. Not all of them, but yeah, some of right. them. You're going not to speak or speak very later in life. So, so
0: if you're dealing with, uh, I'm mm-hmm. assuming most of my listeners would be mm-hmm. neurotypical, right? Mm-hmm. So, what would your what would you like to say to them to help to help better
1: understand you, better understand me? Right. Um, I would say, you know, first of all, it's I guess it's important to listen to what the autistic and disabled community have to say about their own experiences. Um, I feel like there's a lot people can learn from that as lived experiences, you know. Right. Well, I um, agree. That's why you're on yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, the willingness to listen is a big one. Right. Um, if you're not going to, if you're not willing to listen, it's not going to really evolve. It's a two-way street, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, but it goes... For me personally, I think it goes past that point. You know, I feel like uh, there's a lot more the education system across the world could be doing to be more inclusive. Uh, Because I mean, you know, like if you don't learn it in school, it falls upon either the individual or the parents or whatever. So, and I feel like this is... Do you think things are changing now? Is it getting a little better? I don't really know. I haven't... I'm not aware of any educational system that teaches this stuff. I could be wrong, but I'm not aware of it. So I feel like, yeah, I... That's something I would like to see um, Mm -hmm. in the future, just so people are aware of, you know, communication differences and behavioral differences and just understand that it's like, there's always a reason behind it. Um, We're all different. Um, There's nothing weird about it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So, from your blog, Mm -hmm. so you, has that opened up other opportunities? I forget what what word you use, but you Mm -hmm. go and, are there events or something that you get into or... So your perspective is, you know, they want it or something better. mm, How does all that
1: work? So, I mean, it's still very early. I have been doing some guest articles for different websites. I did a podcast earlier this year. um, And past that point, I haven't been to any events as of yet, but I have my first one in Arizona later this month. And what what Um, is that one going to be? And that's for accessible and inclusive tourism. So, yeah. Um, and they, I guess they just want my perspective on it because it's going to be held in Mesa, Arizona. And they are the world's first autism certified city. So, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. What mm-hmm. have they done to make it? So, I guess a lot of, so the company that certifies them, um, I've been doing some work with. And well, they, obviously education would be a part exactly. of that. Exactly. Yeah. So, I think you have to have 80 or 90% of your staff have to be trained in, you know, like autism. Uh, wow. How to deal with autistic uh, patrons, customers.
0: That's um, pretty impressive they could mm-hmm. do
1: that. Yep. And so I guess also as well, when it comes to being a certified city, I think a, a certain amount of like the organizations or tourist attractions have to be within that uh, ratio as well. So, um, wow. So yeah, it sounds like they're doing a good job on paper um so yeah i'm gonna go out and see it later this month
0: when you say accessible you're talking about autism right
1: Mm -hmm.
0: because i mean when when i first heard that Mm -hmm. i mean obviously autism did not come to my mind Mm -hmm. so is -hmm. that a problem just do you think that would be in getting the word out
1: well i mean like when mm -hmm. i
0: hear accessible i you know i think more of ada things like you need ramps or you know something for people like that
1: and i mean that's so accessible travel—it's a very broad, broad, right thing. Um, I'm just dealing with a very small okay. fraction of it, but it's just you know—that's
0: So, that, that's your slice of the pie. exactly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay. I
1: can't talk about I don't know people with mobility issues, for example, because right. I don't have that lived experience. Right, um, it wouldn't make sense for me to go down that path. But it all comes under accessible travel. So
0: all right. Mm. So, in your life, any lessons you've learned you'd like to share with anybody?
1: I would say a lesson I've learned. Be more spontaneous. Be more spontaneous. Yeah. I like some of my best experiences in life, especially during traveling, have been from being spontaneous. Um, You know, like I used to be very rigid on travel plans, itineraries. um, Right. But, you know, I, I learned that they don't always, the more rigid you are, the more room there is for things to go wrong exactly yeah so they
0: can break (laughs) yeah
1: yeah (laughs) right so that was the start of it i guess and then i eventually just started doing things day by day um when it was reasonable i mean if it's peak tourist season sometimes it's a bit difficult not to book in advance like your hotel room for example but yeah well as we've Mm -hmm. talked about i mean i've hosted Mm -hmm. i don't know how
0: many well you know i've had Vacation Mm rentals, the couch surfing, which is probably over 700 people Mm -hmm. in my homes, and now Airbnb. But one thing I would say as far as couch surfers, and it ties into what you just said, Mm -hmm. and that is that, you know, a lot of them, they crave spontaneity Mm -hmm. to the point of, it's almost addictive, I think.
1: Yeah. Because
0: it's like, they really don't want to know where they're going to stay tomorrow night or tonight. Yeah, it's
1: part of the adventure, right? yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what's gonna be around the corner right. for you. And that so, could yeah. be a problem, but <laughs> yeah, hopefully could be. the
0: uh, the pluses outweigh that.
1: Yeah, you just have to believe in faith and destiny, and yeah, hope for the best. Um, mm. But you know, like since doing the whole spontaneous travel thing, it's been a uh, great. I've met a lot of amazing people. Right. Um, went to some places I never thought I'd go to. Um, and you probably have friends all over now. Yeah, them, I mean right? most countries i go to now i always know at least one person right um so yeah and there's still a very large bucket list to work for so
0: (laughs) what's on the horizon where do you want to be 10 years from now
1: Vacation wise or just
0: whatever wise (laughs) Mm,
1: so i guess i'd like to have more countries under my belt or destinations more so that i want to go to i'd like i'd like the website to grow more obviously that's something i want to make my mainstay for the foreseeable future
0: and is there some point where you can make a living off of that, do you see?
1: I would hope so. That's the plan. How so how would that happen? I guess keep doing events, um, keep so going with like the advocacy work. a speaker or something like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. I really want to get into public speaking. Um okay. go down the consultancy route, um keep going with the press trips for the accessible travel. I mean, that's the plan for now. And mm. I would eventually with all that in mind like to settle down in one location um which Southern also, California <laughs> that, that would be ideal yeah I think California or Australia yeah those are my there's two there's too favorite. many bugs and stuff down there you don't uh, want to know Australia. <laughs> yeah <on. laughs> yeah no but it's beautiful the, the bugs coastline. don't kill
0: you the animals well, mm-hmm. right oh well yeah <laughs> I'm just kidding yeah not really <laughs> anyway I appreciate you coming in mm-hmm. you're a good guy so yep. I've had lots of fun with you the last two days yep and uh Hope you come back again.
1: Yeah, I hope to see you again soon. uh, Next time. Thanks for being a
0: good sport and coming on here, and hopefully, people will pick up some pointers here, and Mm. also will, um, will of course, link your blog Mm. in the in the episode notes, so they can see who you are and spread the word. For sure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Alex. Yep.